Welcome back to episode 54 of Sporting Max. This episode is brought to you by The Missing Link, connecting you and your business with the biggest stars in the world through events and experiences. Please welcome number 54, former Southeast Melbourne Magic star. He's a two-time NBL champion and two-time Defensive Player of the Year. He's also the current owner of the world-famous Lux Bus. It's a defensive stopper, Darren Lucas. And here's your host, Max Becker. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Sporting Max. For today, we're joined by Southeast Melbourne Magic star, Darren Lucas. Welcome to the podcast, Darren. Uh, it's amazing Hi. to have you on. How you going? Good, Max. Yourself? Uh, yeah, I'm really good. Thank you. Um, so I'd like to start off with sort of what was your childhood like and what sports did you play growing up? So I played um, mainly basketball, but I was also a tennis player. I played, um, um, uh, I think it was um, rep tennis. So mm-hmm. my wow. parents eventually said, you've got to choose between tennis and basketball. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I was a better basketball than I was tennis player. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I never played any football uh, mm-hmm. or cricket. Never really was my thing. So basketball, I think my, my first game of basketball, I didn't shoot one basket. Um, and then my <laughs> second game of basketball, I had like 46. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> How old were you at that age? I was about seven. Mm-hmm. Was that's, about seven. So crazy. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a good way to sort of get into a sport that I, that I love. And I still play now. So. so where did you grow up? Grew up in uh, Templestowe. So I went to uh, Manningham Primary School, then Templestowe High School. Um, and then I went, when I was 17, to the Institute of Sport. I got, a, mm-hmm. um, uh, got asked to go there for two years. So mm-hmm. I went there from se- age 17 to 18. And um, that was really, that was probably the best thing that ever happened to me because living with mum and dad, I was a bit of a straight kid, you know, <laughs> bit, bit of a goody two-shoes and... Um, never drank, never, you know, been out. So um, going to the Institute of Sport, living with 10 blokes, that I'd, you know, I'd, I'd played against them um, in tournaments, um, yeah. but never, I didn't really go with any good mates mm-hmm. um, at the time. But I've come out of it with 10 amazing mates, so we still catch <laughs> up to this date. So. Um, so in 1986, you played your first year in the NBL um, with the Nunawading Spectres. Um, how did that pathway to the NBL sort of come about and how did you try um, to establish yourself as a player in this team and in this league? Well, it's sort of funny because before I went to the Institute, I never heard of the NBL. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I sort of, I was a little bit, part of me sort of went, what happens when I turn, you know, 18, 19, just yep. basketball finish, mm-hmm. you know, and then, done. yeah, and then slowly dad introduced me to the NBL. We went to a couple of games. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that was before I went to the Institute of Sport. Um, so when I, they, uh, the, my first offer from uh, the Spectres was, I think, maybe three or four grand for the year. <laughs> so it wasn't really anything to, uh, to um, you know, sort of live off. Yeah. So my dad always sort of said to me, look, you know, always have a job, always work. So I was the only guy in the NBL at the time, or throughout my whole career that actually had a, a job as well. So mm-hmm. um, Nutter Wadding was, was, I had Barry Barnes as a coach. So it was pretty, it was pretty hard coming in from, you know, a league where you're pretty much the best player, one of the better yeah. players in the league um, at the Institute of Sport. And then all of a sudden you come to an NBL and you're, yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, you're you not the bottom, but you're, you're not the top. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, now, ahead of the 1987 NBL season, the team changed their name to the East Side Melbourne Spectres. Um, why did that change of name occur and what was your perspective on this at the time? Um, look, that was... Uh, I don't know why they changed it. Look, they did have... Probably one of the reasons they had a really bad logo. Mm-hmm. Um, the logo <laughs> was looked like a Ku Klux Klan. Um, <laughs> and that was from years ago. So I think that's mm-hmm. why they changed it because... Um, uh, we had a lot of really good, you know, Americans coming through and um, they obviously voiced their issues with it. So yeah. um, we changed the Eastside Melbourne Spectres and, and, and sort of then to the magic. But it was mm-hmm. essentially, the, essentially the same owners all the way through. So I stayed with the same team. Um, they mm-hmm. just changed names from yeah. you know, Melbourne <laughs> Spectres to Eastside Melbourne's, you know, quite a few times. Yeah. Um, in just your third season in the NBL, you average, I think it was around 37 minutes alongside 23 points, three boards and three assists. Now, playing more minutes and I suppose a larger role um, in the team, uh, obviously finishing eighth on the ladder that season with 14 teams, um, just missing that 16 finals by only a few games. What was that season like through your eyes and, you know, being able to elevate your game and take it to another level compared to, like, your first season? Um, look, I think a lot of that was to do with um, Brian Gorgian um, being a... What year was that again you're talking about? Oh, I think it's 87 yeah, okay, so Gorge came in yeah. a little bit after that. Yeah. So we had uh, Barry Barnes to start off with, and then um, Brian Gorgian was pretty new to coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, he came on board with a couple of rough guys, uh, <laughs> me, me, Wayne Larkins, Shane Froling. Um, so there wasn't a huge amount of, um, you know, talent like yep. there is today. Mm-hmm. Um, we were pretty, you know, pretty gritty, hardworking sort of players. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Well, Gorgian coming in and, and Gorgian was a very defence-orientated coach. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that's the way we, he, we sort of developed. So I was very much an offensive player during my mm-hmm. junior career. Um, <laughs> and all the guys I grew up playing with sort of couldn't believe that I you know, won the defensive player of the year. <laughs> because they, they reckon I never played defence at all. So, um, yeah, so it was probably... Look, with Gorgian coming on and starting off with us that was really exciting um mm-hmm. he he was good at building young talent mm-hmm. um i uh, look as it went on in my career i found out he wasn't that great with his older players <laughs> but he was very good at bringing up the young talent like when mm-hmm. i when i was retiring he's bringing up jason smith and sam mckinnon yeah so um uh, he's obviously you know got that down pat when you know the young guys have had enough he brings in the uh, the, the new guys to to, to start mm-hmm. a new era. So that year where we just missed out in the finals, that was, I suppose, Brian's first year, I think, if I went back to that. Yeah. And, and then he much, we, we pretty much got close to the finals most years after that. And um, when you go from spending your whole life from, you know, age seven to, you know, 20, mm-hmm. winning every grand final, <laughs> and then all of a sudden, you know, you're not, you know, you're not, not even making the finals. Yeah. Because like I, the junior team I played with, we didn't lose a game in ten years. Mm, so wow. <laughs> um, then all of a sudden you come to the NBL and you know you win half, you win some, you win yeah. you know fifty half games 50. in a season. Yep. So yeah, big change. So how did you adjust to Gorgeous' coaching style and his sort of plays um, when he first came in? Um, look, Gorgian ran a lot of plays for different um, individuals, depending on mm-hmm. the talent we had at the time. Um, you know, we had uh, Vince Hinchin, we had Bruce Bolden, mm-hmm. um, we had Rob Rose. Uh, we had mm-hmm. some, you know, amazing Americans come through. 
Yeah. Uh, we, we also had Arnie Duncan and a couple of guys that are a little bit slower. Mm-hmm. Um, so really depending on the American of the year of the, of the two years, because um, I had 12 years there. So um, mm-hmm. it was really depending on the talent we had at the time. Like there was, you know, one year or two years where you used to, I used to get a, a like a long full court pass from Dean Udoff. Um, <laughs> yeah. One of our offensive strategies. Um, another year was um, uh, they, I did a lot of back cutting. Mm-hmm. Um, and he ran plays for my back cut. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, all of a sudden you get Rob Rose and players that can, you know, not only cut, but they can yeah. shoot. Do everything. <laughs> um, they started running plays and you become more of a role player. So mm-hmm. look, my first year, I was, I suppose, one of the main shooters. And then as I went on, I became a role player mm-hmm. defensively. And, and that probably extended my career um, somewhat. So look, I take my head off to Gorge and to, you know, changing the way I played because it probably mm-hmm. wouldn't have su- survived the way it was going, you know, with, with the way I played. Look, I'm not a, a skillful player. I was very much mm-hmm. a, um, a ratty sort of shooter, you know, <laughs> fade, fadeaway jump shots, mm-hmm. uh, back cuts and all that sort of stuff. I wasn't like an Andrew Parkinson who had a really <laughs> Um, now, you mentioned winning DPOY um, a couple of years in a row. How do you view your role um, of defence in a game? Um, well, I actually remember the first time that I was given a job to actually play defense. It was mm-hmm. on Wayne Carroll. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're playing the Giants, and um, Gorgon said, "I don't want you to. I don't want Wayne Carroll to get the ball." Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, I impressed him enough to to go. Oh, listen, you know, he's a bit of a, a dog with a bone. But hence, nickname <laughs> Junkyard Dog. Um, uh-huh. You know, he can point me in the direction of players and go shut him down. Um, mm-hmm. So. That was that probably took away from my scoring. Mm-hmm. My focus was more on defense than offense, mm-hmm. and and over the years it, it changed. You know the focus of my the way I played basketball. Um, you know, yeah. like like now, I'm so not offensive, and all I do is play deep. I'm, I can still play good defense now, but mm-hmm. my offense, <laughs> as my mates will attest, um, is not as good as it was when I was 20. Mm-hmm. Um, now, after a few seasons um, of sort of just missing out on finals and then losing a semi-final, um, yourself and the Spectres made it to the grand final against Perth in 1991. Can you expand on this series and where you just couldn't get it done in the end? Yeah, look, I think it was, it was probably the talent at the time. Um, we had, and I'm trying to remember, I think we had Bruce Bolden and Kent Lockhart mm-hmm. um, for, the, for that season. And and maybe even Dean Utoff. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, look, it's we got to the finals. Perth was a, a, a more rounded team, mm-hmm. um, and they were they they had you know they had size, they had skill, they had you know I think they had James Crawford back then, yeah, the Alabama Slammer. Um, so that was our first finals as a or Brian's first finals mm-hmm. as a coach, and it was our first NBL finals after a couple of years playing. Uh, all together. So I think it gave us a taste. And I, I don't know of any team that has just come in with, and all of a sudden gone and won finals and they've never been in the finals before. It's You've got to, you know, finals is a completely different ballpark. You know, you, mm-hmm. you play more defence. Um, it's it's a slower game. Um, yeah, so it's, it's a different thing. So, look, our first year, 91, of being in the finals was tough. And it taught us, obviously, 92, my first, you yeah. know, First NBL final and and, and ring, um, mm-hmm. that was my probably my highlight of my career because 
you know, I stopped Andrew Gaze. You know, we, we had other players. <laughs> we had other players on the team, but um, I remember uh, Ian Stacker saying, you know, you're, you're a superstar for stopping mm-hmm. Gaze, mm-hmm. and that was what that's what I, that's what I love doing. I love being recognised for either shooting or defence, or you know, nowadays it's doing the splits on the dance floor. So you know, <laughs> every year of my life changes. Um, you mentioned that 1991 season. Um, that season, you also filmed the uh, Wild One Dance alongside um, Andrew Parkinson. Can you tell me uh, a bit more about this? So that was pretty funny because Parky and most of those guys can't dance, right? I've and seen I, a couple of your dance moves at the start of that uh, that video. Yeah, I don't mind the old <laughs> dancing. and uh, It was funny because, like, you know, the, uh, the producers were, you know, stepping in and going, Parky, you got to move a little bit to the left and a little bit yeah. to the right. And, you know, <laughs> and then, you know, Dean Udoff, he's an old mate of mine. You know, mm-hmm. Dean's, Dean wouldn't have danced ever in his life, I don't think. Mm-hmm. And, um, and and John Dorge, he's one of my good mates now. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's seven foot. And, um, you know, <laughs> John and the dance floor, you know, it's oil and water. Mm-hmm. That never happens. So, um, yeah, it was pretty funny. And at the end of it, they actually said, uh, does anyone want to go in the booth and dance on their own? I went, Oh yeah, I'll do that. No problem. <laughs> and the funny thing was, I actually thought that I was going into the, the the enclosed booth on my own, right? Yeah. I didn't realise all the other boys would be sitting out watching the TV screen <laughs> uh, of me cut cutting some moves and uh. letting loose. So um, <laughs> when I came out, they're all like, you know, give me, you know, give me jeers, and I'm like, oh well. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that 1992 season. Um, you guys were named, renamed on um, the South East Melbourne Magic and obviously that might have had some effect um, taking out that championship. Um, so what was that champ- first sort of championship experience for you like? Well, we'd actually just merged with, mm-hmm. um, uh, with St Kilda. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had Parky come on board and um, a few other guys come on board. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, there was a bit of disruption to the start of that year because we did, well, we thought we'd done so well the year before. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get these guys um, and we merged the team and and, uh, and and basically there's a lot of role players in that team. So, yep. um, you know, Park and I joke about it, you know, mm-hmm. um, in the finals um, when um, Andrew Gaze's team got the ball, the Tigers got the ball, mm-hmm. Gorgian had subbed me on. Right? <laughs> as soon as we got the ball... Um, he'd sub Parky on, right? <laughs> so yeah. that was, you know, that's our joke, you know, and a lot of the players I'm still mates with, you know, we'd get six minutes on, six minutes off. But most of my career, I sort of averaged between, you know, 25 and 35 minutes a game, mm-hmm. uh, except for pretty much the uh, the last year of my uh, last year of my um, my career. So um, yeah, that '92 season was really special. It was more it was more special because coming into the finals, Darren Perry. You know, had an injury. Yeah. Um, he was our point guard, and you know, you're up against the wall. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, your captain's gone down, your point guard's mm-hmm. gone down, and you're playing against Melbourne Tigers, your arch rivals. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> and all of a sudden, you know, we just played well. I think I kept Andrew to 12 points. Oh wow! Um, and he that was he didn't shoot one out one outside basket the whole game. They were all foul <laughs> shots. So the referee. Referees took care of him in that uh, in that game. So yeah, look, that was so exciting after having so many years of winning championships as a junior. Then all of a sudden, you know, I I, I don't know what how many years it was. I think it was about five or six years mm-hmm. in the NBL before that um, of no wins. 
mm-hmm. and all of a sudden we come up and win it and we'll and then it's like <laughs> okay so this is what it's about uh-huh. you know, so. um throughout the next few seasons you guys made the finals however just couldn't get to the championship but i want to touch on the 1994 and 95 season um you took out the nbl's defensive player of the year back to back how does it feel to be recognized for your defensive efforts on court yeah that was really good so um 93 in 93 i got um uh, second best defender in the league um mm-hmm. and then 94 95 i got best defender so that was i suppose recognition for the hard work i'd done and yep. being an offensive player through my career and all of a sudden pretty much giving that up and going well listen our team needs a defensive player and yep. for me to stay relevant and in the team i've got to um, you know, obviously change and adapt mm-hmm. and, and, and start playing defense, you know, and put a lot of my focus onto that. So that was, that was probably, again, one of the highlights of my career um, mm-hmm. because I, I looked at that as a, not a skill thing, but more an effort thing. Um, yep. Defensively, defense is not so much skill, it's more so effort mm-hmm. um, and knowing where your player goes and knowing your players. So I think those, those two awards plus the 92 championship uh, are probably the highlights of my career for playing basketball. I believe it was your last season um, in the NBL in 1996. And what a season it was, you know, winning the championship against um, the Crosstown rivals in Melbourne Tigers once again. Can you elaborate on this season um, for you guys? Yeah, look, it was, a, it was a funny season for me because I was captain uh, with John Dorge, co-captain. So we were, I was captain 95, 96. And... Um, uh, I started to get less court time. So I went from <laughs> 35 minutes a game to, you know, 15 minutes a game or 13 minutes a game because yep. we were bringing the young kids up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and I'll be honest, it was really hard for me to sort of handle because, you know, although it's a team game, you want to be given the same opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, look, we won, you know, I won as captain and I won mm-hmm. as in 92 as one of the main players. So... Mm-hmm. Um, and in 96, I wasn't really one of the main players. Obviously, I was a part of the team mm-hmm. and captain and the figurehead. Um, but that was, a, that was a really good year because, look, we had Jason Smith, Cohen Boards, um, mm-hmm. Sammy Mack, uh, Frank Drimmick, uh, Tony Ronaldson. So a bunch of good blokes mm-hmm. that I'm still friends with now. And we still go away and have drinks on Lux, on Lux Coach. <laughs> yeah, we go on wine tours together. So um, that was a really good year. It, look, it was, it was a struggle for me because it was a hard year. You know, minutes-wise, um, you know, I had, I could have I could have gone to another team in '97, mm-hmm. um, and you know, probably got less money, um, yeah. but uh, I decided to stay with the Magic for '97 and just um, not play and take on a, a on a different role in '97 mm-hmm. to fulfil my my um, my contract. So, but '96 was great. It was you know to win it with John John mm-hmm. and I as captain. And to beat the Tigers. Yeah. And, you know, and, and back then we were getting 15,000 to a game and, and basketball yeah. was really at a, a peak, a peak in its, um, you know, mm-hmm. in its uh, people watching. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think the hard thing for me, I didn't, I don't watch NBL much now. Yeah. Um, I think if I, I think if the NBL had some history in the teams, mm-hmm. so Southeast Melbourne Phoenix, but technically, technically our old. Yeah. Southeast Melbourne Magic. Yeah. Um, it'd be not because, like, like Chris Anthony did a post the other day about it, the Mavericks. Yeah. Um, he was saying how the Mavericks, you know, he only played with the Mavericks for a couple of years, but mm-hmm. they just they take care of him whenever he goes back to yeah. Texas. <laughs> and, you know, 
and I, I actually messaged him. I said, wouldn't it be nice if the NBL teams did that, yeah. um, you know, in, in Australia? The players, they yeah. just don't, you know, like there's, there's no more Tigers. There's no more magic. You know, mm-hmm. my singlet was retired um, after playing 12 years with the same team. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know whose else was, but, you know, where have they gone, you know? Yeah, there's no history exactly. yet. And I think that's where basketball loses out because um, the uh, the v- AFL, you know, they've got history. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at the NBL yeah. now and they don't have history, which is... No, which all is- the Melbourne teams and things like that are gone and Southeast Melbourne, Phoenix and United, we saw them incorporate a bit of the Tigers with one of their Heritage Round jerseys a couple of years ago, but they don't seem to be taking on or fulfilling any of that role anymore, even though... You know, they didn't really change clubs or anything or didn't go away. Yeah. Um, they just switched their name. So they should probably incorporate a bit more Tigers in there and the Phoenix. Yeah, well, of. you look at, you look at like, all the other states, like Adelaide 36ers, you know, like mm-hmm. Scotty Ninnis, you know, he's – I don't know whether he's in the Hall of Fame, but he's, you know, there's mm-hmm. a lot of people with the history in the same NBL team. Yeah. And you look at Melbourne and you've got United and Phoenix and really United is Tigers. Yeah. And, Phoenix is South East Melbourne Magic. And it'd be yeah, nice absolutely. if, you know, like we boys are talking about, why don't we have a like a, a Tigers versus Magic game? Yeah. That'd be fun at halftime. Just take 10 minutes during halftime. Mm-hmm. See some of the old guys get around. Um, yeah. You know, we've always thought that'd be good because there, there, there were a lot of supporters back then. Yeah. And they haven't died. You know, they've just got older. Yeah. But they'd, they'd, <laughs> they'd still go and they'd still want to go and see, you know, um, Andrew Gaze play, have me on Andrew Gaze and yeah. whoever else, you know, Parky shooting the threes and, mm-hmm. you know, Chris blocking Bradkey. Yeah. You know, <laughs> there's, there's, you know, it's, it'd be nice to have that sort of history because mm-hmm. then I'd probably embrace the league a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do, you, yeah. how do you reflect on your time on playing for the sort of 12 years in the NBL? Um, look, I, I loved it. It was, um, I loved Running out, I think the biggest thrill for me was the actual playing. I didn't particularly like training too much. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, I was sort of lucky because uh, I was the only player. It was myself and Ray Gordon were the only players that had jobs in the league. Yeah. Um, uh, I was sort of lucky that Brian let me only train once during the day. So he'd uh-huh. go, you don't have to go to the 10 o'clock training. You can go to the 2 o'clock training. So, mm-hmm. you know, that probably extended my career by a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know, even though you're getting paid, we were getting paid a hundred plus grand back then. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, I always had a job, so it made it easy for me to retire because it just meant that I worked from rather than working till two, I worked till five. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas a lot of athletes nowadays struggle when they retire from bas- basketball or football, and they've never been in business. Yeah. Um, so yeah, look, I look back at my twelve years and I loved it. Um, you know, look, I suppose there's two different, there's three different types. There's my junior career, which I loved. Then mm-hmm. there was the Institute of Sport, which I've got a great bunch of mates that I hang out with all the time. And then my NBL career, you had, I suppose, more of a mix of players coming through, like Darren yeah. Perry for a couple of years, um, you know, mm-hmm. um, Dean Udoff for a couple of years. Um, so, you know, you had different, you had different mm-hmm. players come and go, Scotty Ninnis. So, um, you know, it was great. And you, I got some good friendships out of it. Um, and, you know, you made some good money out of it. And mm-hmm. the crowds were amazing. Uh, it'd just be nice if um, if that was sort of recognised more for, for yep. players like, you know, like us. Um, so what are your biggest highlights um, of the great rivalry of the Magic vs Tigers matchup? Um, I think my biggest um, highlight was obviously 92. Mm-hmm. Um you know, Andrew only got, I think, 11 or 12 points in the grand final. And, 
Yeah. And he, he didn't get one outside. I don't think he got one outside shot. I think it was all foul shots. Wow. <laughs> and I actually, that 92 championship, I grabbed the, um, they had a tiger as a mm. mascot and I tore the, the tail off the tiger and I stuck it in my boot <laughs> of my car and I actually had it hanging out the boot of my car for about a month, dragging mm. along the tiger tail. <laughs> so, um, yeah, 92 and stopping Andrew. Look at Andrew. Andrew's such a, a decent person and a lovely person and yeah. a really good competitor. He wasn't dirty. Um, you know, he used to try and, you know, give you a push this way yeah. so he could go that way. Um, you know, little things you get to know. And, look, I, I love the idea, you know, you're playing against different players like Shane Hill and those sort of players. Mm-hmm. You know their weaknesses. You know their strengths. You know how to stop them. Um, after playing with them and against yeah, them Yeah, after so playing long. against them for so long. And, look, mm-hmm. you know, playing for Australia with these guys, you got to see them from a different perspective mm-hmm. um, on the years I played for that. So, you know, it, it was great. The uh, the 12 years was was really good. and But 92 was definitely my highlight, stopping Andrew. And I think one of the things that uh, stands out was uh, we had a – uh, a dinner or a lunch a couple of months afterwards and uh, yep. Lindsay, Lindsay Gage was talking and mm-hmm. on the screen was a photo of me in the first centre jump and mm-hmm. I was basically almost inside Andrew's jockstrap. And, <laughs> and Lin, Lindsay basically said, said Darren, that's, that was you for the whole series. So that was a really good <laughs> too. So. Um, throughout your career, you've played um, with some amazing and superstar players. Like you mentioned, Jason Smith, uh, Bruce Bolden, Sammy Mack, um, Rob Rose, Mike Kelly, um, of course, and of course, Chris Anstey and uh, Andrew Parkinson, who we've actually had those two on the podcast, by the way. Um, who do you think, from your point of view, is the best player who you've played with um, throughout your career? Played with? Um, it's a sort of tough question because Chris is probably the the best player after he, you know, because I didn't play with him yeah. when he was at that level. Yeah, after um, he left. Yeah, after he left, he went and played NBL and NBA. But I also played mm-hmm. with Luke Longley um, wow. you know, when I was at the Institute of Sport for a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and he wasn't obviously the player he was, you know, mm-hmm. um, when of he was course. age six, 15. Yep. Um, but he's, he obviously went to, to great achievements. But um, I'd probably have to say Rob Rose mm-hmm. um, was the best player when I played with him and I looked up to. He was um, – he could he played hard defence – he was really good at offense and he played a hard game. He didn't give mm-hmm. up at all. Um, yeah, and look, there were certain guys that, that you'd play with that were really good offensively, but they didn't do anything defensively. Yeah. Um, and Parky, no, that's not you, mate. But um, <laughs> so it's, you know, so I'll probably think Rob Rose because he, he did it all, mate. Mm-hmm. He rebounded, he dunked, he could shoot, he could play really good defense, mm-hmm. and he was a really good bloke, too. So, um, you know, I had a couple of years with Rob, um, and I'd probably say Robbie, yeah. Um, now, your business, Lux Coach, can you explain uh, to the listeners what it's about and the inspiration behind Lux Coach? So, Lux Coach is a, it's basically a luxury bus with a cocktail bar in it. So, mm-hmm. um, I'd been in IT and photocopies for 25 years, and uh, and then all of a sudden I went to a, a, a festival mm-hmm. at age 45. 47, I think it was, and um, the owner of the festival said, I'll come back on my party bus. And it was something that was like 50 years old and you could hose hose down with a hose. It was disgusting. (laughs) And I sort of thought at my age, surely there's got to be something better to, Mm -hmm. you know, go to wineries and go to festivals and just, you know, travel in. So um, I bought the bus about probably four years ago, Mm -hmm. maybe four or five years ago. Took me a couple of years to, to get it 
design. So the people that design W Hotels um, and Bond Bar and Baroque, so some really cool bars and nightclubs in Melbourne design the bus, mm-hmm. the interior. And the guys that um, built all the furniture for Crown Casino, the high rollers rooms, built the interior. Wow. So I launched that a month before COVID, so really bad timing, but um, mm-hmm. it's been, the business has been going amazing, you know, for 21st, for kids, for 50th, mm-hmm. for 40th, for 30th, for um, corporate functions, mm-hmm. um, especially coming into Christmas. Like, you know, it's got a big 50-inch pop-up TV. You can yeah. have margaritas, you know. You wouldn't know what that is, but, you know, <laughs> espresso martinis, you can have all that. And uh, you can also do presentations. So it, it cuts across... The corporate life, it cuts across the fun life. So I'm corporate and I'm fun. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of, it's me to a T. So I'm building 10 of them. So hopefully, mm-hmm. you know, in about five or six years time, we'll have, you know, one in every state and mm-hmm. um, and maybe a couple in Melbourne and a couple in Sydney. So it's really taking off. So it's luxcoach.com.au, just for a plug. <laughs> uh, what would be your best advice to anyone wanting uh, to become a successful player um, in the NBL and be successful like yourself? I'd say... Um, train hard and work on your weaknesses. Mm-hmm. So one of the things, one of my weaknesses halfway through my career was my outside shooting. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, Ian Stacker worked on me for a while, for about a year. And I came back the next year and um, I had Steve Carfino, who's um, he's mm-hmm. a commentator now. He said to me when he was playing, he said, uh, Luke, you're, um, you've, been pr- you've been working on your shot over the, over the break because it's improved. And mm-hmm. I was like, yeah. Um, <laughs> And look, missing out on two Olympic squads, I wish I've actually, I wish I had have actually gone to the coaches and said, what do I need to improve on? Yeah. Because to miss out on two Olympic squads by, you know, one, two or three people. So I was in the mm-hmm. squad of 15 and 12 went. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish I had have spoken to Barry Barnes or, you know, Lindsay Gaze or mm-hmm. whoever the coaches were at the time and just say, hey, what do I need to get on this team? You know? Yeah. Um, what do you need me to, to improve at over the next two years? And mm-hmm. then set a goal and go, okay, I've got to improve on this. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas when I was in the teams, I was just playing the way I played. I wasn't thinking mm-hmm. about, you know, what, you know, I was thinking, well, if the coaches like me, they like me. Whereas yeah. I wasn't thinking, how can I um, talk the to them yeah. and get a dialogue with them and then go, what do you need me to do to help your team mm-hmm. and to be on the team? Yeah. So, you know, work hard, find out what you're bad at and improve on it. Mm-hmm. All right, thanks, Darren, for coming on the podcast today and putting aside half an hour or so of your time to come on and have a chat. It's been an absolute honour. Cool. Thanks, Max. Thanks, Keep Darren. Good going, mate. Thanks, Darren. Stay tuned, everyone, for some more Sporting Max. Thanks for listening to this episode of Sporting Max. Check us out on iTunes, Spotify or YouTube and be sure to follow our socials. This episode is brought to you by The Missing Link. This is The Voice of Melbourne. And we'll see you back here real soon for another episode of Sporting Max.